Good evening. So we continue our discussion of Brahm's prayers. <clears throat> Today we come to the tenth verse. I'm going to go through a few verses here, I think. But uh, <clears throat> as we know from last night, at this point in uh, Brahma's prayers, he's beginning to um, put together an, an apology for his behavior. And in the context of apologizing for behavior, he's also reasoning as to as to uh, why um, it should be uh, um, forgiven, and over overlooked. <laughs> Usually not considered to be a full apology, but he actually has <laughs> he actually has good reasons here, and um, speaks in such a way as to and endear himself to Krishna. <clears throat> so, you know, he said that uh, you're like the fire, I'm like uh, the spark, um, I'm an uncivilized person, um, people think of me as otherwise, and my acts speak louder than their words, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> um, so, Tonight in verse 10, he, he continues along this vein and he says, Ata chamas bachutta me rajo buvo. He ajanatastvat pritag isha monina. Ajavale pandatamondatakshusha esho nukampyo mainatavaniti. So here he says, uh, given what I said in the previous verse, Shamasva, you should please uh, excuse me, please forgive me, Achuta. Hmm. So the implication is that you're Achuta, you're infallible, and I'm fallible. So it's to be expected that I might have some faults I might act uh, foolishly. That's not expected of you. Hmm? And uh, and he doesn't say it would be foolish of you not to forgive me, but <laughs> he doesn't quite go that far uh, <laughs> and make another offense. Uh, but he says, "You're, uh, I'm a fallen person and I'm fallible to such uh, or susceptible to such. You're infallible, and not so. And the word achuta also is one that uh, refers to Bhagavan in terms of his being infallible with regard to his support for his <coughs> devotees. Hmm. Arjuna invokes this epithet in the Bhagavad Gita in the first chapter. Um, what does he say there? <clears throat> it's the essence of the Gita. In one sense, in the first chapter, um, when he he says, "O Achuta, bring me in front of the armies." How's that verse go? Let me. Let oh, that's too bad because it's very important. And see, let me see who's assembled here on the on the battlefield. Um, 
he refers to him as a tutor and at the same time um, speaks to him as if he's uh, a rickshaw walla. Like if you got on a rickshaw or a bus and said, oh, an infallible driver, you know, uh, you know take me. So it's it's kind of like contradictory in a sense. You don't, you don't address a bus driver as infallible um, one. Um, he's the one who you tell, uh, take me to such, or the, ca- or the taxi driver, take me here, take me there. Hmm? Uh, so he's saying to Krishna, "Take me here. Take me. Drive me up to the chariot driver, part the sarati. Uh, take me between the, the the army, so I can see who's assembled here or wants to fight, and I can assess the situation." But he does, uh, in the context of apparently ordering him as such, address him as a chuta. So the apparent uh, contradiction and. Um, it's resolved in the idea that his, his infallibility, if you will, uh, sh- uh, expresses itself most uh, fully in his protecting of his devotees, always being there for them, um, and for all intents and purposes, uh, serving them. And in this case, for example, in the Gita, becoming my chariot driver. Hmm? That is how uh, how much you support, and you're there to back your devotee. So you're infallible, and by your connection, the devotees become infallible. They they tread the infallible path of bhakti from which one cannot f- fall. Hmm? But it appears that devotees fall. No, they simply stop going forward for a short time, and when they return to that position from where they fell, they pick up from where they left off. Therefore, neha bhikramanashvasti pratyavayana-vidhiti-svalapamapiyasapadharmasya-trayate-mato-vayat A little endeavor is here in this path is eternal. And what does Narada say to Vyas also? Chaktvasva-dharmam-charanam-bhujam-mareer This is very challenging, very bold. Uh, and his uh, advocacy of bhakti as he enlightens Vyas about his, the cause of his despondency after he's written all the texts and still feels like something's missing. What is it? He says, well, you haven't come out and spoken in no uncertain terms clearly hmm, about the efficacy of bhakti. Hmm. That's the problem, which, among other things... About twelve verses there. It's going to be Narad Bhagavatam within the Bhagavatam, um, picking up from what he heard from Brahma, elaborating on it to Vyas. Um, so many beginnings of the Bhagavatam in the Bhagavatam text, and uh, among other things, there he's saying that the nature of this bhakti, this prema dharma, hmm, is such that. Uh, uh, don't listen to people who, who who caution you that you might fall if you take up this path. It's risky. It's a, you're leaving the society and the support of friendship and country and so forth. Uh, and so you might 
uh, be unsuccessful. He says, it, or what if it, due to immaturity you fall down? He, he, he says, it, it doesn't, there's no consequence because they pick up the, where they left off, they return there, and uh, so that there's no loss. Um, Nard, it, it, there's a number of examples of Nard being a bold preacher and convincing people to forego the worldliness and take up devotion. You know, the famous yeah, interaction he had with Daksha, where twice he told the 10,000 sons of Daksha, convinced them to become brahmacharis and pursue the path of bhakti. Once was enough, and Daksha thought, well, you know, these sadhus, they do this, but it's not very wise. I mean, they're just kids. They could, they could you know, you have to be mature. First, you have to follow all the dharma. Tato dharma jignasu. You have to inquire thoroughly into dharma, perfect yourself as a religious person, and then there's possibility of inquiry into Brahma, Tato Brahma Jignasya, and, and the possibility of Moksha. Hmm? That's after the perfection of Dharma. These are just kids, they were beginning, hardly perfect in Dharma, and you're telling them they should uh, take for the path of of the, the, the Prem Prayojan, hmm? beyond Moksha, the Panchama Purushartha, the fifth goal of life even. Hmm? They're not even qualified for the fourth goal of life. They haven't gone through, through and we don't even know if that fifth goal exists, Daksha's thinking. Um, so, uh, Nard goes ahead, he forgives him, but he thinks, you know, it wasn't right. And then he gives him more, 10,000 more sons, and he does it again. Then he curses Nard. It only comes back on the head of Daksha and works for the favor of, of Nard in his, in his favor, keep him traveling. Mm, right, of course, we couldn't stay in any place for more than three days, something like that. Mm. Point is, of course, that while the general norm is, as Daksha is thinking, pass through the Varnashram, religiously pursue the things that people are interested in, wealth, security, uh, dharma, artha, kama, sense, enjoyment, uh, and so forth, in the religious context, in the context of acknowledging that the the, the the controlling powers in nature that I'm subordinate to and dependent upon in order for me to see I need sun, I should have regard for the sun. Hmm? Right? In order to speak, we need wind, need so we should have regard for the wind. And so to live in this uh, uh, grateful kind of uh, space uh, worshipful space, approaching nature with a worshipful uh, and uh, loving rather than exploitive uh, tendency. You need something from nature, but ask please. Hmm? In order to survive, because we need provisions from nature, but we ask, would you please, rather than just barge in and take and disrupt and exploit and uh, and arguably bring us to the situation we're in now with a, with a question of whether the resources are um, uh, 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 how, how much re- remains for our well-being. From a Vedic perspective, nature is with, may withhold, right? Hmm? Um, so, uh, as I often quote, uh, 
side. If you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. So this is what Varnashram is really about in a very broad sense. Love begins with gratitude, just like you teach your kids. Now say thank you. Say thank you. Thank you. Okay. They're learning. Somebody gives them. That's something for you. You appreciate that. So this kind of gratitude is kind of the ground of love to be built upon. Hmm? So Varnashram is, has built into this this sense of, of gratitude. And when we approach nature like that for the things that are our material uh, necessities, then the other pressing uh, necessity that, that really is driving us to pursue our material necessities that won't fulfill that drive, the need to experience more the more than what meets the eye and the mind that we feel life must be about. Hmm. Because we do end up at the end of the day usually with a full belly and a place to rest and somebody to hang out with. Hmm. Hmm. But we don't feel satisfied. Hmm. So that really the drive for these things is the drive for something more than these things which pertains to that within us that... Um, exceeds the, the biological and psychological aspects of our present sense of self. And that's what moksha, dharma come moksha, mukti, liberation, refers to. Hmm? It, 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 and, and so uh, when you religiously move with gratitude and fulfill your uh, necessities of sorts, um, then uh, without... Uh, a, uh, a struggle for them, having attained them by and large, and they're not being, and finding that they're not enough, um, then what, what's the more? You have, you have now an ear and a teachable moment for moksha. So from Dharma Jignasu, inquiry into Dharma, properly done one naturally comes to... Because by that proper inquiry, you get what you need from terms of your animality and your and your psychology. Hmm? And, it's just, and karma marg is a some systematic way to get those things. Hmm? Not a not a speculative, you know, try this, that. It's, it, so it's going according to the, to the revelation, the means, how to become materially, uh, how to get health and prosperity, so to speak. Uh, idea and balance in your material life. So so from there the moksha idea comes. This is the normal course. But hmm, what Nard is doing and he's talking about in the Bhagavad what he does in the case of the say the, the sons of Daksha, as I cited as an example, what he's speaking about in the Bhagavatam is how you can come to Dharma Jignasu, Brahma Jignasu, without going through Dharma Jignasu. And beyond that, how you can come to Rasa Jignasu and inquire about Bhakti without going through Brahma Jignasu. How is that? What is the way? Sadhu. Through Sadhu Sangha. And he's a good Sadhu, Narada. So he can, they can create, Sadhus can create fortune in the form of eligibility hmm, um, for uh, these higher ideals just by their, their company. It's infectious. Mm-hmm. Then we have to get on board, of course, according to where we're at, and apply ourselves 
terms of where we're at in terms of that goal. But to have that goal in mind, have an interest in that sparked in one about the prospect of that and have that as one's ideal, one has gone a long, 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 long way. Hmm? Right? Females may or she may still have to tend to moral sensibilities and, and struggle uh, with them and so forth. But his ideal, her ideal, is so high, so far beyond the ideal of Varnashram. And what is your ideal? Of course, that's what you become, and that you'll have to be evaluated in terms of your ideal. Hmm? Because again, that's what you will become, that is your potential. So, the, the, the fortune of the sadhaka, right? The, the practitioner devotee who has this ideal of bhakti rasa by, uh, by way of, of uh, sadhasanga. Um, by way of sadhasanga, in other words, we, we come to the conclusion, we have the opportunity, and then we get the logic support as well, the pursuit of the uh, achutyapantha, the infallible path, the path of bhakti, where you, if you stay on the path, you can't fall. You may, you may not have your foot on the gas. You may put your foot on the brake. You might turn sideways and go a long distance that way, but you, you don't really go backwards because that that foothold is there, right? And so you you return to it and pick up where you left off. In this sense, it's the infallible path. So he he asks uh, for uh, forgiveness. Uh, and so therefore, please give me forgiveness, O oh, infallible one. Hmm? You're the infallible one, um, and on your path, uh, one can't fall, so I should be, what I've done should be really insignificant. It's a, it's, it's part of the course, considering that I'm, a, I'm a, the epitome of a mixed bhakta, as Brahma, that's the position of Brahma, Besides this particular Brahma, who's a bhakta, obviously, um, there are other types of Brahmas, as we've explained, or persons who attain the post. The post itself represents uh, bhakti mixed with with karma. So uh, it's a very uh, it's rajasic influence. So he he, he refers to Krishna as a chuta. He says ata samasvachuta me. Rajo Bhuva. So you are infallible in the Nirgun. Hmm? There's no falling from there. It's another way to talk about it. You're a Chutya, you're infallible. In your realm, your abode, unlike mine, as you explain in the Gita, Abram Bhuvanaloka, Punaravartinarjuna, where people have to take birth again after having lived out a long life there, your abode is infallible. No one falls from there. Hmm? But those under the influence of Rajaguna, who don't come under your Nirguna influence, as I'm trying to do, then they fall, they take birth again, they're involved in this up and down, up and down of material existence. So here you are infallible, and I am influenced by the Rajaguna. Rajaguna is uh, a kind of uh, foolishness. Hmm? Tamaguna is a kind of bewilderment and makes no sense. Uh, Rajaguna is a kind of foolishness because it seeks material perfection, which 
the term material perfection is an oxymoron. There is no such thing as material perfection. Hmm? The, the whole idea is to understand that it is the realm of imperfection hmm? and the pursuit of transcendence. And I'm really, Brahma says, involved in it. Hmm? I'm really, I'm the Brahma, I'm the creator of the thing, I'm arranging the whole thing and managing it all, you know, is my, my position. Driving, <coughs> excuse me, the driving force um, of the world in terms of material advancement, material perfection. Tamagun is not about material advancement. Tamagun is just about going nowhere. Hmm? Rajagun is moving up the ladder. Hmm? Got to improve my situation. Um, Got to get a better job. Got to um, climb up the political ladder, whatever may be the case. Hmm? And of course, this, there's some value in Rajaguna. Hmm? Um, uh, it can be it can be used, so to speak, in in bhakti for getting something done before you're actually driven by bhakti itself. You're going to drive for Rajaguna, okay? Make manager. Let's give you something spiritual to manage it and, and organize. And so this is the case with Brahma, right? Hmm? He's got the work of creation. Hmm? It's a, it's a Rajaguna affair, and it's derived energy, of course, but it, it requires a lot. And so, when he's starting to wield it, if you will, and do the work, it's easy to get a little self-absorbed and and think you're important, which is also a symptom of Rajaguna, to think I'm important. So it's a kind of a foolishness. The idea is that uh, uh, there's there's a number of nice examples. One of them I'm reminded of is when Brahma came to Dwaraka to visit Krishna in his metropolitan palatial leela, and uh, Daruka, I believe, uh, maybe was at the door, and he said, "I've I've come to see Krishna." He said, "Okay, let me let I'll let him know you're here. Just a minute." <laughs> so he went, and Krishna said, "Ask him which Brahma it is." So then he went back to the door and he said, "Krishna Vasudev." Dwarkanath uh, has asked, uh, which Brahma are you? And Brahma was like taken back, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> which Brahma? I'm Brahma. You know, it's like, I'm, the, I'm Brahma, the creator of the universe, Brahma. You ever heard of the universe? Well, I'm the guy, you know, that's, that's behind it. Uh, the four-headed one, and I got four heads, okay? I'm different than everybody else. I've got four heads. So, this word was sent back to Krishna. Krishna let him in. So then he tells Krishna what he came for and want to tell him something about the creation, how things are going and so forth. <laughs> Krishna asked a few questions. Sounds good. And then uh, Brahma said, before I go, I have a, I have a question, uh, another question. Well, guess what is that? So before I was entering the door, your, your, your doorkeeper said, you asked, which Brahma am I? What kind of question is that? And then Krishna manifested a vision of millions of universes, all with Brahmas. Some of them had ten heads and a hundred heads and a thousand heads and so forth. And he showed, he showed the multiverse. And Brahma could realize his foolishness. However big we are, the point is, 
materially speaking, how much we're materially improved, uh, if you will, and have risen on the ladder. Um, uh, if we become the extent to which we become intoxicated by that, we are nothing but a big fool. Uh, so Brahma has understood this. That he compares himself, you're a chuta and I'm um, Rajabhuva. One has taken birth in the mode of passion. That's my position. So again, I'm foolish. Um, but at the same time, my Raja, Rajas, has been dovetailed in your service. Hmm? So I'm using that tendency for your service with regard to the world anyway. It's not the service in regard to your Leela that I'm now coming in touch with, that I've been uh, blessed with the opportunity to enter through initiation received from you, and I'm starting to understand it more now by what you've, you've shown me by this, this revelation. Um, but in the context of that, uh, I made some... Uh, I acted foolishly, but it's uh, it's uh, it's kind of to be expected uh, in one sense. And second, besides that, again, I am your servant. And so, what are you going to do? As Prabhupada used to say, what did he say? A bad uncle is better than no uncle at all? A blind uncle. A blind uncle is better than no uncle at all. What can you do? At least I've got an uncle. Right? Something like that. Shudamar was blind. He was our uncle, so it certainly wasn't a defect. <laughs> Just as a point that on the side we talked about him the other day. So uh, he, the point is that well, he's, he's my kid. What can I do? Or, you know, he's my servant. So if you're actually my servant, then and you're like that, what can I do? I have to forgive you, and we have to go on from from there. If you weren't my Sharanagata, if you weren't surrendered to me, hmm, then there would be reason to deal with you differently. But given the fact that. I'm resigned into your service, even the work that I'm doing that I got intoxicated by, thinking it my own doing, it's actually your work, and the power to do it is derived from you, and so I'm remembering all these things, are coming to my senses, and so I should be, um, my ca- I make my case uh, for your forgiveness. I make my petition. I'm a fool, but I make my case, Your Honor, that I should be um, forgiven, that I should be shown um, mercy, rather than be, be sentenced, right? So, then he goes on. Kvaham tamo mahad aham ka charagni varbhu sam veshtitandha gata sapta vithastikaya kvedrig it's a tough one. Kvedrig Vidha Bhigani Tanda Paranuchaja Bhathadva Roma Vibarasya Cha Te Mohitvam. He says, now he goes on, he's making his case, and here he begins. This is one of, I believe, twelve verses that Jiva Goswami uh, cites, I mentioned it earlier in Bhagavad Sandarabha. Um, as a testament from the Bhagavatam and from Brahma, Chaturved Brahma, right? Uh, or, or what is it? Chaturmuk Brahma, who studied the Vedas, the knower of the Vedas, uh, from whom the Vedas come into the world and so forth, an authoritative person, in other words. 
um, that uh, from his words in these twelve verses, that Krishna's form is all pervasive. Like I gave the example of the night we were, where the world is a person; it's just not us. Like the Gaia principle, the world is an organism, and we're just a cell in it. We tend to think, without saying it, the world the world is us. It's there for me. It's all an extension of myself. We kind of see like that. We, uh, at least we act as if that's how we see, so to speak. And we have to be taught. Even it is the narcissistic, you know, propensity. <laughs> and so we have to be taught. No, that's not the case. Even even materially speaking. Um, um, so. Um, So here he begins uh, his explanation of, again, how Krishna's body is all pervasive, which he has just seen because he saw innumerable Narayans emanating from, 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 from Krishna and from the pores of the Narayans, innumerable universes, um, and so forth, um, which means that all the universes are within Krishna, all the Narayans, all, the par- all of Vaikuntha is within him. And I was asked the other night, is Narayan also there in the Loka? Yep, he sure is. <laughs> he sure is. He's inside of Krishna. Hmm. Um, so he says, uh, What am I? Hmm. A small creature measuring seven spans of my own hand. Hmm. So if you take your hand from your little finger to your thumb as a span, and you can try it. You can measure your body. It should come out to seven. Hmm? You stand up to do it. <laughs> you might need help even. But um, So, typically, a person is seven spans of their own hand. So, so he's saying this about himself in comparison to two things. In comparison to Narayan, whom universes are running from. He, he, he's got to be bigger than that. Uh, actually, Narayan... It's all relative, of course, to the size of one's hand and everything. Um, so you could think, well, Narayan is also seven spans, but actually Narayan and Krishna, hmm? uh, Krishna in particular, is nine spans. doesn't mean he's taller. It means the configuration of his body is different. Like, for example, his hands coming down to his knees, extending to his knees. So there are certain characteristics of Krishna's body, sarvasalakshananbita, this is one of the qualities of Krishna that's very uh, prominent in uh, in Sakyarasa. Hmm. It comes that is seen when you see Krishna through the lens of Sakyarasa, and certain of his qualities will stand out. If you see him through the lens of another rasa, then certain qualities will uh, will stand out. Just like in a uh, postmodern movie, where one guy sees it like this, another person sees the same event like that. Everybody's living in their relative um, worlds, and there's no absolute picture, as is the thought in postmodernism. But anyway, in Bhakti Rasa, then all of them are right. <laughs> there's the there's the Batsalya lens. There's the Sakura, the paternal love lens. There's the fraternal love lens. The, the lens, the romantic love lens. And within the context of those lenses, then certain qualities of Krishna's innumerable qualities um, stand out. 
so one of them in Sakiros is this Sarvasalakshananvitam, extraordinary bodily um, characteristics. He's a, there's another name for that, Nyagroda Pariman, something like Parimandala. Um, it's a it's a term, Nyagroda Parimandala, I think it is. Uh, that's also embraced by the Buddhists. Buddhism, after all, is really just an outgrowth of um, Hinduism and a rejection of the karma marg of Hinduism, the path of material acquisition, which is a, was a prominent face, the prominent face of uh, of Hinduism at the time and of all times. Therefore, Krishna says, "What trigunya bishaya veda to Arjuna." Mostly the Vedas deal with this way to be grateful that I was speaking about earlier, way to acquire from the world about material acquisition, um, whereas there's a quieter section of the of the Veda that's about the Nivriti Marg, about giving up, about about the idea that less is more and pursuing that. Hmm? But everybody's not ready to hear that, right? So mostly the Vedas are about trying to bring... Rain, bring people in that direction through acknowledging their tendency to exploit and to take and to license it and harness it, so to speak. Hmm. Um, so, <coughs> what was the point? So, anyway, um, Krishna's bodily features, his form, hmm, his form. Yeah. yeah. So, Buddhism is. Uh, is is a kind of a rejection of the prominent face of karma mimamsa, and it's kind of Upanishadic in nature, but it throws out all of the Vedas, the quiet voice of which is the Upanishads about mukti and brahman and and so forth, um, and then the Buddha goes on in his own way, right, um, with what's in many respects kind of a veiled uh, form of. Um, Nirvish, nirvishesh Brahma. Hmm. Um, so, Nirvana. Hmm. Nirvana. To extinguish material pursuit and the existence that derives from it. At any rate, my point is that in Buddhist literature, then they consider Buddha to be a, I hope I got the term right, Nyagroda Parimandala. Hmm. And so there are different bodily characteristics of such a person. So they, there's not a lot of history about Buddha, but some, and so then they make the statues of Buddha and they carve him in this way, and he's got these bodily characteristics, and so for which they think each of the bodily characteristics represents a hundred good acts, good karma, that that are backed by a hundred good thoughts, something like that, or a thousand good thoughts. And so the, the idea is that the, the physiology has in some way corresponds with one's morality, one's thoughts, and so forth. This is a thought to have been a debunked uh, pseudo-science physiognomy, but there was a recent study in 2017 in Canada that uh, established that emotions are uh, concealed, hmm, uh, but then express themselves in etchings on the face. It's just an old adage, the face is the index of the mind. So they did a study like this. 
credence to the palmistry and <laughs> such things. Right? Mm. Um, it's kind of a, the last form of physiognomy in the world, uh, fading fast. But just study the palm, and, but there's a way to study the whole body. You can go to India and you go to Delhi and you can find a guy and look at him and he can tell you, you did this, you did this, you did this. And what? Yeah. Just to, and he said, give me some money. <laughs> so, it's worth a few rupees. <laughs> so, um, uh, so this is it. anyway. Of course, Krishna is the fully has all of these uh, symptoms. They're not thought to be due to pious acts he's performed or anything uh, of the sort. Um, and in Sakirasa, of course, his friends are very uh, familiar with. One of the examples, of course, is the um, there's a couple aspects to this auspicious bodily characteristics. One of them is the uh, uh, nature or structure of the body, and so forth. The other is is the is the feet and what's on the bottom of the feet. So he has these markings on the bottom of his feet that um, are very apparent to the cowherds because by in Pogondalila, as I mentioned, he weighs enough to make his footprints. Um, Mark the uh, the ground, and they're developed also. Whereas in his childhood, they're not as as developed. Mm-hmm. And so, um, when he reaches the Poganda age, they're developed, and he weighs enough that they weigh down. Although his mother wants him to put on shoes because she's thinking his feet are so tender, and that's all she can think. She can't think of any marks on that. They're just tender. Um, but he refuses to put on shoes because the cows don't wear shoes. And when she thinks, but but the forest is rough and it may hurt your tender feet. He said, no, the cows will make it soft ahead of me. Hmm? That's what they do. They make it soft wherever we go, whether with their hooves, it's their service. Hmm? So they show some motherly affection uh, for him. So like I said, the motherhood goes a little bit with him in the forest, whereas friendly leelas, uh, through extension, in the form of the cows. <clears throat> And so, anyway, the, the the boys, of course, seeing these footprints, always go, "Hey, check it out!" You know, amazing, th- and that's the amazing thing about it. Not like he, and not, and what's the, the markings on his feet that are described in the literature do not uh, thoroughly describe the markings. So the implication is there's new markings on the feet all the time that are showing up. Cowards are discussing them and so forth, but. The wonderful thing about this, of course, in this kind of instance, this Sakiras, is that they're not astounded by it, but they're looking at them and comparing to their own feet, <laughs> and, and, and and amused by them, and, you know. Sure, making jokes about about them and and so forth. And Brahma's going, "Your body is extraordinary." He's just kind of getting up to speed a little bit. And so he compares his form to Krishna's in two ways, to his Madhurya form that he saw and to the the fact that this form is backed by Aishvarya and the whole, all the universes are coming from him. So I'm a small guy, seven spans of a hand inside of a universe and the whole universe is inside of you. Hmm? So um, what is your glory, fame, your power, your position in relation to mine. He uses the example, unlimited universes pass through the pores of your body just as particles of dust pass through the openings of a window screen as you can see in the sun light. 
Hmm. He gives this example. And what he's speaking about here is, what he's doing here is he's identifying Krishna with Mahavishnu. So we see in the successive verses, he'll identify him with Mahavishnu, with also the three Purushas, with uh, the uh, Garbhodakshay Vishnu and Shiradakshay Vishnu. So he's making the case for Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Hmm? Uh, very kind of uh, def- def- definitively, if you will, a central point of the entire text of the Bhagavatam that is played out here in the narrative of the Leela. It's a very important uh, chapter. <clears throat> and um, he says, Upekshapanam garba gatasyapadayo kim kalpate matur adhuk sajagase kimastinasti vyapadesha bhushitam tavastiku kshe kiyad api ananta. So again, in the last verse, he was further making his case of why he, you know, you're great, I'm small. He uses the logic. You are extremely great. Universes are emanating from the pores of your body in your form as Mahavishnu. And I'm like seven spans of a hand, that's all, inside of one of your universes only. I may think I'm big, that's my foolishness. I'm very small. And so the logic here that he's applying in a plea for forgiveness and and mercy and so forth is that you're extremely great, I'm extremely small and and to and the way to exhibit your greatness in this case is to, is to show kindness you have the grace you have the power um to do that uh the more fallen uh this is kind of the lot the more fallen the more worthy i am of of, of mercy mm-hmm. he's kind of making the case uh i'm the most fallen person therefore i'm the most deserving of mercy mercy will be is is your capacity, anukampam? He cited in the previous verse, referred to him as such, and and it's a great. The measure of your mercy will be known to the extent that you extend it to persons who are most unqualified. Hmm? The extent that you're qualified, therefore you get mercy. Okay, who's qualified to get the mercy? It's for unqualified people. <laughs> it's an overriding of justice. So he's saying, even while we could argue that there's justice with regard to whatever one does, there should be a corresponding um, reaction. That's how material nature works. He's well acquainted with that. He's Brahma, right? So you plug in the material nature you take, and you get a you get a karmic reaction. And Krishna defers to nature, therefore. He doesn't interfere with the justice. You interacted with the Maya Shakti like this, so this you get this result. He doesn't interfere. Mm-hmm. If he did, then he then what's the position of material nature? He has to give her some place. Has to have some relationship with her. So he honors her embarrassing, as she refers to it, uh, function of justly responding to how the the jivas. Uh, interact with her in um, really acts of material exploitation, of taking her for themselves, so to speak. Hmm? 
when she indeed belongs to him. So, um, so he knows this principle of justice well, of karma, right? And um, he said, this is different. This, you're also merciful. Hmm? So the fact that you honor the justice, is re- that, that is required in order for you to be merciful, because mercy means overriding the justice. So if there were no justice, then there would be n- no overriding of it and no mercy. Hmm? So you uphold the justice only so that you can be merciful. Such is your nature. <laughs> so he's making a nice, nice prayers, nice, nice logic, right? appealing to Krishna. <clears throat> Therefore, you should forgive me. So, oh, he says, it goes on here. Oh, adhoksaja. He employs another uh, epithet for Krishna. Uh, Does a mother take offense when a child within the womb kicks his legs? And is there anything in existence, whether designated by various philosophers as real or unreal, that's actually outside of your abdomen? So he's saying all things exist within whatever the Sankhya people talk about, or this one, however they they, uh, mm, describe material nature, hmm? whether all of the, for example, Sankhya, all the ingredients of material nature uh, there's an abbreviation of all that and from the Gita or the Purusha, the Atma hmm, Jivatma as Krishna says Aparet Amitastvanyam Prakritim Vidimepuram Jiva Bhuta Mahabhavo Yayidam So the world is these ingredients the non-living and the living the Jiva hmm? The latter sustains the former, um, and so forth. Uh, so the jivas interacting with uh, matter, the living, interacting with the non-living, hmm? bound together by the force of karma. This is the world. And um, <clears throat> so all of that is going on within your abdomen, it's all within your 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 you are not ayana, not ayana, the shelter of all beings, hmm? and here he's saying the shelter of all living and non-living aspects of existence, all residing within your belly. So I'm one of the living things in your within your abdomen, and uh, so you're my mother. Hmm? I was living in you. Uh, like a child lives within the womb, and sometimes within the womb, the child kicks. The mother doesn't take offense, right? When the ch- she goes, oh, there's something living in there. Just see that. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, I suggest to me you might look at it like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I, what I've done? Oh, adhoksaja. Adhoksaja means who is not. Uh, attainable or understandable by material senses. Hmm. So he's saying, how could I understand you? I have material senses, and with material senses I could not recognize you. So I acted in a way that was inappropriate. Now, of course, you have shown me something, which is your power to reveal yourself and thereby purify one's uh, senses 
that they may uh, have experience of the transcendence, but unto myself, you're at hoksaja, uh, beyond the senses, and I'm made up of senses, and, and so I have no hope of understanding you. Therefore, I've you know it's understandable that I might have might have made a mistake. Hmm? And so, by invoking the epithet of hoksaja, of course, it's in this sense, it's a it's a referring to his majesty, and now here in this verse, obviously he's speaking about the Garbhodaksha Vishnu. From Mahavishnu, the universe has come, and the Garbhodaksha Vishnu comes and lies within one of them on the ocean of milk, as is thought, and from the lotus, from his navel, Brahma's born. So I'm born from your abdomen, so you must be my mother. Meanwhile, Krishna's looking at him like, what are you talking about? I'm a, I'm a coward boy. And you're saying I'm your mother? Hmm? That's a, and Brahma's thinking, hmm, that must be what he's thinking. He's, 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 he keeps you know, trying to come up with uh, answers for what he's perceiving Krishna must be thinking from his you know, appearance. But the word at Hoksaja, while it has this Aishvarya connotation, he's beyond. It's a it's a it's a term that refers to Narayan's abode. It is adhoksaja. It is overtly transcendental. When you're there, you know, I'm enlightened. I'm here. I've arrived. Whereas Krishna's realm is referred to as aprakrita, so it looks ordinary. Therefore, it's not overtly transcendental. Prakrita means material. Aprakriti means it looks like it, but it's not. It looks, it's human-like. Both words are important. It's human-like. Similar, but not the same. It's supra-transcendental, right? Narayana's realm is only an aspect of Krishna's realm. The majesty of... If you took the, if you took the majesty of Goloka, which we're seeing here, from Narayans emanating from Krishna and located it all somewhere. Then we call it Vaikuntha. That's a, so, so it's a name that uh, invokes the Aishvarya that is seen and appropriately he invokes it in, in, a, in a thoughtful, uh, witty way to... Uh, uh, argue his case for mercy, uh, but there is another sense of the term as well that he's also um, um, playing on by um, using this name to address Krishna, because uh, adhoksaja also means adhoksaja means ja means born, adhoksaja means who's born again, who's born. From the axle, from the axle, who's born from the axle? Adhoksaja. Hmm? So, in the leela of Krishna, hmm? that when he was an infant, he was placed underneath the axle of a cart hmm? while things were going on to be protected under, underneath the like the the uh, the wagon, right? Hmm? And then the um, what is his name? Shakatasura, he somehow possessed, in a ghostly sense, the cart, 
and cause the axle to break in an attempt to kill the infant. Hmm. Um, at least I, I think that was his ambition. And Krishna as an infant it just happened to kick the axle. Huh. He's lying down, he just kicked off his foot. He kicked the axle and sent the cart flying and crashed and 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 so forth, and everybody thought, oh, what happened? You know, how is that the, the axle, the, the, the car was going to fail, somehow it tipped over, and, and so forth. So, um, given that, um, then Yasoda and others addressed him as a hoaxaja. Mm-hmm. So it's, an, a, it's a name also that refers to this, because he was born, he should have died underneath the cart. The cart fell, you see, it didn't fall on a Krishna because he actually kicked it, but they didn't realize it. Somehow the cart fell, but it didn't fall on him. Hmm? It's like, I guess he just kicked it a little bit and went rolled over. Hmm? Oh, the cart fell. It could have fallen on him. So he's born again, so to speak. He should have died, but he was born again underneath the axle. This is miraculous. Somehow it happened. Narayan must have somehow you know, intervened, and while ordinarily the cart would have fallen on top of him, it rolled it aside instead. And so they refer to him as as a hoaxaja, and this by this invoking this epithet, Narayan is saying, and that you know you are also known as a hoaxaja, and you have these prankish deeds that you do, and um, and in your childhood and so forth, and amongst them you do many things like stealing yogurt and butter and things mischievous things. But your parents and everybody forgives you, hmm? right, for, for your childishness. So I'm like your child. Hmm? I was inside your womb. Hmm? I'm, you're like my mother. And so you should, I should be forgiven, forgiven also. Hmm? Right? <laughs> and then he says, but jagat trayon dad trayon todati samplavode. Narayana Syodara Nabinalana Nanat Binir Goto Jhastva Iti Ban Na Vai Mrsha Kingba King Bishwara King Bishwara Twan Na Binir Gotosmi. My dear Lord, it is said that when the three planetary systems are merged in the water at the time of dissolution, your plenary portion, Narayan, lies down in the water gradually, gradually a lotus flower grows from his navel, and Brahma takes birth on that flower. Certainly these words are not false. Thus I am, am I not born from you? So he's replying to the thought of Krishna, that what are you talking about? I'm your mother. Hmm? What are you talking about? I'm just a coward boy. Hmm? And he says, well, the scriptures say, hmm? the Vedas say, that I'm born from Narayam, who lies down in the causal, you know, whatever the waters, and uh, and um, and a lotus grows from his navel, and and if you think I'm not your mother because you're a male, well, I came out anyway from you, so you're my father. Hmm? Uh, so if you're not my my, my mother, you you should look at yourself as my father, and 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 forgive me. In, in either in either case. And this is what the scripture says. So are are you not my father? Hmm? You must be my father. 
Uh, so now this is a preface to the, probably the central verse of this section, which we'll go into in the, in the next uh, discussion that uh, Krishnadas invokes in his Chaitanya Charitamrita to make his case for Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Hmm? Any question? Maharaj, last night you mentioned that Brahma first became interested in Krishna via the Agasura. Or he first became interested in Krishna's power via the Agasura. Well, he saw extraordinary power, yeah. He was drawn in by that. So then he was drawn in by that, and then again tonight we're talking about his extraordinary power. My question is, when is, where is the bij for the Sakya Ras come? Is it already there? Is yeah, it's, he got that when he was uh, initiated, um, and he received the four... Um, uh, essential slokas of the Bhagavatam. At that time, those four essential slokas of the Bhagavatam are the siksha from Krishna, and the Gopal mantra was imparted to him at that time, as explained in Brahma Samhita, and that is diksha. So he got the diksha of Gopal mantra, mantra, and he got the Bhagavatam as the siksha in four essential verses. At that time, um, Brahma says that uh, you have approached me as as a friend to a friend, hmm? uh, and and so I want to to respond to that appropriately. Vishnu Chakravarti comments: This is the dawn of Brahma's desire to love Krishna in uh, in, in Sakya. Hmm? So that was his initiation, so to speak. So then he went back home and like a usual householder and you know he did his service got a little distracted and he had a lot of things to do and so forth and now Krishna's bringing him here to rein him in and say you know you wanted to be my friend hey you know this is what it's all about here check it out this is the portal then that Brahma's coming in to this we look Brahma's yeah. coming into the subject yeah last yeah. Brahma yeah this is the portal Prabhupada left the world, and entered in also. So here we find a, a sadhika coming in, the Brahma Vimohan Lila, Brahma, Prabhupada's following that way hmm, to enter there. Srila Prabhupada ki jai, Gopal Krishna ki jai, Brahma Madhva Gaudiya Sampradaya ki jai, Uradha Madhava ki jai, Gaur Bhakta Vrinda ki jai.